Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. It's Friday, July 23rd, 2021. All right, July 23rd, September 23rd, two months from today, will be the Feast of Tabernacles, and we're going to have an amazing time once again. We'll talk to you much more about it in the upcoming weeks, and I just want you to get it on your calendar, September 23rd through... September 30th. It is a seven-day Feast of Tabernacles right here in Northwest Arkansas. The New Wine Ministry Church will be hosting it once again. We've been doing this for over 30 years now. You are cordially invited to come up to an atmosphere where the environment of the Kingdom of Heaven will be absolutely unveiled, realized. Why do I say that? Because it's happened for 30 years There is a presence of God, a weighty presence of God that is manifested during the Feast of the Lord. I don't know why God had these days in his heart, in his mind, in his intellect, uh, in his foreknowledge, and why the Feast of the Lord are so important to him, but they are. They are so important to him. They're such a part of his eternity that on the fourth day of creation before man ever existed, God put the signs and the seasons, the moeds, the gathering together for feast days, literally in the Hebrew. Why did he do that? What is it about the feast days that uh, our secular world has changed, obviously, the feast of the Lord, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, and the others 
for Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's something about the Feast of the Lord in God's heart from the beginning of time. We have been celebrating it. We have witnessed that there is a weightier presence. People's lives have been changed. There's a divine touch upon the heart to bring release into some fuller things. And, and that's going to come up real important conversation as we go. Obviously, you know, these feasts are for God's people. The feasts are for the people of the Lord. They're God's feasts, but we, his people, are invited to come up to him. You know, don't think it's strange that much of the world, that the direction that we're moving in, much of the world will want nothing to do with God. We've been talking extensively about what's going on in our world through socialism and communism and all the different isms that seem to be opposing the faith of believers around the world. And when we really narrow it down, we do realize that the communistic agenda, the Marxist agenda in our country is a satanic agenda designed to eradicate God out of society, to eradicate God out of our language, to eradicate God out of our conversation, to eradicate God out of our thoughts. This agenda is very satanic in the sense that if the Marxist has his way, he will cause every human being to abandon God in this temporary life so that the individual will be eternally separated from God. I want you to really think about that. Everything going on in the world today that is aligning itself against God, against God's Son, Jesus the Christ, and against God's Holy Spirit. Everything that is aligning itself against God, the Creator who created all things. Everything that is aligning itself against faith in God. All these things are designed, and behind the scenes of each one of them are the satanic agenda to separate the creation from the creator in this life. See, all the attack has to happen in this sphere of existence. And the bombardment against every human being on the planet. Okay, and what is that bombardment? Separate them from God. Uh, Give a faith to them to not believe in God. Because it takes faith not to believe, right? So we live in a world where... Since mankind has been on the earth, Adam and Mrs. Adam, the devil was there to separate them from God. Cain and Abel, the devil was there to separate them from God. And from the beginning of time as we know it in man's creation, all the way up until this very moment, there is an active force in the earth to separate man from God. That is a very real satanic agenda. Now, we call these tools... Designed to separate communism, socialism, atheism, agnosticism. Uh, We call it all kinds of different things. And they are all designed to get people to abandon their faith in God, to believe in the salvation message of Jesus Christ, to actually war against God, to insult God, to destroy God. And isn't that such a futile battle when you really stop and think about it? that little gods, little rulers, you know, these, these little kings of the earth, 
are actually trying to make war with the God of heaven and earth? Well, it may seem absurd to you and I, but it is a very effective tool because many people in the last day will abandon their faith in God. They will defect from the truth. They will fall away. They will apostatize. So it's not something that we should be taking lightly as believers presently. And you may not understand this, and I may not understand it. Many of us would say, I'm not going anywhere. I am not, I'm not going anywhere. And yet, pushing the right buttons, touching the trigger points, bringing enough pressure, bringing enough war, spiritual battle, you just don't know what the response will be in the future. You could kind of determine, you could kind of detect, you could kind of investigate a little bit. How do we respond today to certain pressures, impetuses, triggers being pulled or buttons being pushed? How do we respond to insult, to rejection, to offense, to fear? How do we respond in our daily walk with temptation to sin, et cetera, et cetera? Well, right now we are to examine and see how we really are doing with an understanding that there are things coming that are designed by the devil himself to separate us from God in this life because he knows if he can do that, that we will be eternally separated from God. So here we are. We're carrying the Christian banner. We're raising up the lordship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in a more hostile world, particularly in the United States of America at this time, with the abandonment of so many people of the Christian faith, and they're turning to the isms of uh, rejection of God, and then the forcing of their New World Order ideas, their Marxist ideas, their socialist ideas, their antichrist ideas, their anti-God ideas, and you are the target of their blasphemy, and it is designed to get you to back off in your relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, to get you to grieve and quench and deny the existence of the Holy Spirit of God, and to get into a place of just not being able to handle it anymore, checking out, if you will, and that is the designed assault of the enemy against all believers, yea, against all creation. Many creatures have already succumbed to the satanic power and are useful idiots or puppets to puppeteer the satanic mindset and to add the pressure and to bring the insults against God into the forum of our existence upon this earth. We are in a very real battle, and one of the ways to really, uh, you know, enlighten us to what we're talking about is by reading some scripture over in Psalm 2. If you don't think this battle is real, it is real. In Psalm chapter 2, we begin in verse 1. Why do the heathen rage? Now, you ask yourself, what is a heathen? It's a goi. It's a, where we get the goyim from. And the goi are just the nations. It just talks about the uh, non-Hebrew people in that setting. It talks about, excuse me, a foreign nation or people that don't believe in God. So why do the unbelievers rage? And the word rage there is very interesting. And then you see the direction of that rage. It's the ragash. 
and it means to be in a tumult or commotion, to conspire or to plot, all right? So there's a conspiracy, there's a plot, and where is it directed at? Why do the heathen rage and the people, and this is probably where we're going to get to that deeper Hebrew word, and it is the lechom, the lechom, and it means just the nations again, okay, community of nations, and so why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why are they imagining? And that word imagine is the Haggah, and it means to, it's very interesting, it means to murmur, to ponder, to meditate, all right? So somebody's thinking deeply about the conspiracy and the plot, and these are the nations, the unredeemed, unregenerate nations of the world, and why are they imagining and uh, and, and setting a conspiracy and a plot with vain things, and that's emptiness, worthless, to no purpose again. So why are they doing this? Why do the heathen rage? The kings of the earth, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and rulers, the rulers of the earth, take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. All right, so here we have all the way back in the book of Psalms, a revelation of the kings of the earth and the rulers of the earth taking counsel together against the Lord. Isn't that interesting? If you don't believe in God, how could you take counsel against God, right? But that's the hypocrisy of atheism and all these different uh, ideas because they are so satanic, they're always twisted, right? So the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, here's what there's counseling. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. When we study all of the different people throughout the history of the world who have come against God one way or the other, it's always a desire to be free from God's thought, God's heart, God's law, God's will, God's way. Think about it. What the kings of the earth are saying, what the rulers of the world are saying, is we've got to break the bands and the cords that bind us to this creator. We need to, not only for ourselves, but for the world in which we live. The world that we live in, they say, and you can take that argument from the book of Psalms, bring it right to today, what they're doing is attempting to break the bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We don't want your God. We don't want your Bible. We don't want your Jesus. We don't want your Holy Spirit. We're going to do everything in our power to deny his existence. And it's a very vain thing. It's very empty. There's no purpose to it. And yet it's very effective in bringing creatures away from God. And, there, and this is what's going on in our society today. And as we near the great tribulation, the time where the devil himself, the Antichrist, will be ruling over the world, he's going to be ruling as some God-man, some God-man showing man's heightened sense of ability and that there is no God in heaven. He'll blaspheme everything that's called God. 
everything that even looks like God, he's going to mock and ridicule and come against and et cetera, et cetera. Nothing new under the sun. It's been here from the beginning of time, but we're going to see the, the culmination of the ages showing up before our eyes and in our world in a very, very few days. And we, the people that carry the banner of Christ, are the target of the enemy because, again, what is he going to do? He's going to deny God's presence. And man is going to be fully exalted. And he's going to say, I am God. Man is going to say, and some man is going to embody this ability through satanic signs and wonders, lying signs and wonders, and everybody's going to look to the man. And God will have been eradicated. Schools will be emptied out of biblical thinking. Uh, The ridiculousness of religion will be promoted in the world, and it will be hated and scoffed at, and those Christians especially will be hated by all nations for his namesake. And so the, the rulers of the world, the kings of the earth, are setting themselves against the Lord, which is a, a, a vain imagination because God is God, as we'll see here in just a little bit, and they want to get rid of God. You're living in that society right now. You and I live in the midst of a hostile takeover of unregenerate, unredeemed men and women who deny the existence of God, who promote themselves as God, as foolish as they be. I mean, it's so obvious how ridiculous they are, right? Little puny little gods. And yet they make themselves something. And this is the arrogance. This is the blasphemy. This is the pride. Now, today, you and I in Christian America, if we want to call it that, the last bastion of uh, freedom's light, uh, we are here and we go to church and we sing our songs and we go about our business, you know, and this is Bible studies and it's, it's not contested too hostily right now. And, you know, we just think that this is normal. Other places around the world, like in Nigeria, like in China, like in Iran, in other Middle Eastern countries, in Syria, where Christians gather together with the threat of being caught is a whole different way of doing things. And soon and very soon, because of the times that we're living in and because of Bible prophecy, it will be the same way in the United States of America. They have already begun with the shutting down of the churches in 2020, showing their power over religion, if you want to call it religion. So what does God say to the kings of the earth and the rulers of the world? He sits in the heavens and he laughs. He laughs. And that word laughs means, and this is where we have to get behind our father altogether. It's the sakak. And what it literally means, he mocks them. Uh, he laughs with contempt against them. <clears throat> All right? So he mockingly laughs them. Yes, God will mock the adversaries. And so he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The Lord will have them in in derision. And that's the law ag, and it means uh, ridicule. It means that they're, they're going to be found to be as foolish as their idea is. They're going to be found as empty and vain and worthless and to no purpose as their ideas really are. Okay? So those that would insist upon making war with God, okay, will be found in derision when God is ready to do that. But here's where we need to be careful as Christians living in the last days. And what I would like to do is simply go to Matthew chapter 24 once again. 
And I think it's important that we understand what the Bible says the climate will be in these last days. And so let me just pull this up on the screen. I want to get into Matthew chapter 24, where we're going to get into some scripture. And we'll just go into the, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Matthew 24, here we go. So, We'll start here, we'll come here, and we'll we're, we're prepare ourselves to get into Scripture. Now, going back to Psalms just for a moment, it says that he that sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision, uh, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. We see that in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, by the way, in the sixth seal, that's a connection, and vex them in his sore displeasure. So in other words, all the plans, all the planning, all the plotting, all the conspiracy, all the labor, the work, the energy that these ridiculous ones are putting in to fight against God, God will just uh, simply uh, vex them in his sore displeasure. And that's where uh, we know the end result will be. You read the book of Revelation, we know the end of the matter biblically, scripturally. Now, you and I, you and I have faith. We have faith. Do you know where you got your faith from? Do you know why you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life? Do you know where your faith came to believe that the son that God gave came through a virgin womb? You know, these are the the stories in the Bible that the atheist, the agnostic, the Marxist, the unbeliever uh, against God rails at. I mean, they look at that in contempt and say, how could you believe that a, a man was born through a womb that never had sexual intercourse? How could that be? So they ridicule everything and anything that does not fit into the natural experience. Okay? And then they attempt to ridicule and belittle your faith because you believe in that. And they ask, how is that reasonable? And we're living in a day with the new enlightenment that's coming, a new sense of reason, right? And if it doesn't measure up to reason, if it's not logical, if it doesn't make sense to the human mind, then how can you believe it? Now you're believing in fairy tales. Now you're believing in, you know, these whimsical ideas. I mean, to believe that God's son was born in a virgin womb, you know, what kind of a God would do that? And, and then comes the insults. And what we're t- going to talk about today for just a little bit is how you and I are going to respond to the assault against our faith. And if we are operating in this blind kind of faith, and we're just kind of allowing ourselves to go through the motions of religion, okay, in a blind kind of faith, but our faith has never uh, uh, ignited a relationship that is a heartfelt relationship with a communion with Christ, with our Father, with the Holy Spirit, well, it could be contested pretty severely. And even those who have, listen, let me just say this real quick in Hebrews. I'm going to read it out of my my Bible. In Hebrews chapter 6, and I know people are still trying to figure out what this means, but is it possible that it means what it says? All right, in Hebrews chapter 6, we're told it is impossible. In verse 4, 
for those who were once enlightened. And a lot of people believe they've been enlightened, you know, by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, by the truth. And then he goes on to say, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. I would imagine the heavenly gift is the Holy Spirit, at least to a degree. And if we don't believe that, then it says, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Now, can you actually be enlightened? Can you have tasted the heavenly gift and were made a partaker of the Holy Ghost without being born again or believing in Jesus Christ? Of course not. You don't get to be a partaker of the Holy Ghost without faith in Jesus Christ and asking God for the Holy Spirit. You're not getting the enlightenment, the awakening, the light of the gospel shining in your heart. Okay, and that's what enlightenment is when the truth shines in your darkness. But these people have, but he says it's impossible. And for those who have been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, binding up a demon, casting out a spirit, healing the sick, raising the dead. I mean, doing the works that Jesus did is partaking of the power of the world to come. What is impossible about these people? If they shall fall away, apostatize, defect from the truth, and you would sit back and go, well, how could they? I mean, they're enlightened. They're partakers of the Holy Ghost. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They've tasted the good word of God, the powers of the world to come. Well, how could they fall away? How could they defect? They can. The Bible says, if they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance. Now, why am I reading this to you? I'm reading it because of where things are going quickly. The world in which you and I live is going to be soaked with demonic oppression, violent warfare, spiritual battles. You cannot deny it. You cannot bury your head. You cannot read the Bible and come up with another conclusion that we're going to have to do everything we can to stand, and having done all to stand, stand therefore in the full armor of God, because we are fighting against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. I mean, the rulers of the dark world, it's all there. And I'm telling you, the word of God is saying that in the last days, that battle that's been going on since the beginning of time is going to uh, culminate again into a massive end-time spiritual battle, but the battle will be for your faith. The battle will be for you and I in spite of the Nazi concentration camps, in spite of the Bolshevik revolution mass murder of believers, in spite of the hatred of the world and the lovelessness that will come into the world. In spite of that, we will maintain and keep our faith. Now, I want to read something else to you out of 2 Peter um, <clears throat> chapter 1. I mean, 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and you know this, but be, be encouraged by this. 1 Peter chapter 1 goes on to say, and I'll just pick it up in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is our lively hope? That we are going to be resurrected if we die, 
we are going to be resurrected into eternal life. And it says not only will we be resurrected by Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. So the Bible, now listen, Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the people. I say to Karl Marx, are you kidding me? Religion is the opiate of the people? Paul the Apostle, wiser than Karl Marx, said, if our hope is in this world alone, we are of most people, of all people, we are the most miserable people on the earth. Karl Marx is suggesting that our religion is an opiate of calm. The Word of God says if you believe in this hostile world, you've got to pick up your cross, follow the Lord, go against the flow, spiritual warfare. Where's the opiate in that? The comfort we have is in the promises of God for the life to come. It is certainly not an opiate that gives us a false sense of security and calm in this world, right? We would believe that. So we have a, a reservation in heaven to an, an inheritance that will never fade away. And then who's it to? It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith. Now, listen to the way Peter wrote this, okay? We, it, we have this promise that in this life, we will have tribulations. We will have persecution. We will have trials. We must take up our cross and follow the Lord and die to ourselves. We must be changed from the inside out, transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are getting prepared for an eternal destiny with God. And though our outward man perishes, our inward man is renewed day by day. We are being changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. We know that there is a work going on inside of us presently that is unseen, unobservable by the world and even by our own conscience at times. It is a very deep work of God in the born-again spirit with those who have faith in the midst of a very hostile world with satanic enemies that want to stop the relationship between us and God. So God says we are kept by the power of God through faith unto, that means we're kept by the power of God through faith leading to or unto what? Salvation. Salvation is the result or the reward or the finish line of the race or the journey of our faith. And the forces that are at work in the world today may have not yet confronted you and I to the degree that we are going to be confronted, just, you know, unless our faith is uh, catapulted us into the wilderness or into a Goshen or into an ark or a refuge so that we'll be preserved and kept by the power of God. Our faith will have allowed us to get there. But the ideas of unbelief, abandonment of our faith, love waxing cold, you know, all these other issues that are going to be happening in the majority of people. So salvation is something that is received, okay? It's, we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice. And, and we're going to have to get there 
brothers and sisters, where we are greatly rejoicing, though now for a season, if need be, now there is a need for our faith to be strong, right? So if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. All right, there's a reason for the many trials, the temptations. What is it? Verse 7, that the trial of your faith, the trial of your faith, be much more precious than of gold. I mean, you could have all the gold in the world, but if you don't have faith, you're in trouble. You could have zero gold and have lots of faith, and you're okay, right? So your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, which gold will perish, though it be tried with fire. What's being tried with fire? Your faith. Our faith, according to the gospel, according to the writings of the apostles, our faith is more valuable than gold. It has more intrinsic value. It carries an eternal weight of glory, not a temporary weight of gold. Okay? So he goes on to say that there's a reason why the many trials are taking place. Why are you being tempted on every side? Why are you being pressured? Why is God allowing all these things to happen? He's wanting you and I to eventually come to a new response to the things that will come against us in the last days. Everything you and I are going through right now is about our responses. It's not about being right or wrong. It doesn't matter right or wrong. What matters is that the response to whatever we're facing is coming out of a genuine heart of faith, believing and trusting in God. Okay, so when we have a wrong response, there's a failure. There's something inside of us that is chaffed that is not going to enter into the kingdom. It needs to be burnt up. So if you're responding to anything, uh, a brother that doesn't treat you well, a sister that doesn't treat you well, uh, a conversation that didn't go well, a job you didn't get, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, if we do not respond in faith, which will always be allowing for a proper response to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, It just means we need to change some more. So, verse 7, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, that your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter was instructing his congregation that you're going to go through many trials, there's, a, there's an inheritance waiting for you in heaven, but on this earth, there are forces that are going to try to do everything they can to, to block you from getting to that inheritance. And even though you've been a partaker of the Holy Ghost, you've tasted the good word of God, you've once been illuminated and enlightened, uh, you've, you've tasted the power of God, the good word of God, there are still forces that believe and are going to attempt to break your cord and your band with God to get you into an unbelieving state because there are times when God just does not show up in our understanding. We, he, he, there are many times where God is silent, where we don't feel God, we don't see God, we don't see the hand of God, we don't sense God. Those are the seasons of walking by faith. Faith is not sight. 
it is not sense. I feel God. I sense his presence is here. Thank God for those moments because he's real and he's, and he's unveiled himself to us. But for you and I, our faith tells us that I don't feel him, I don't see him, but I know he's here. And I know he's not abandoning me. I know he's not against me. He understands my frailty. He understands my, my frame. I am but dust. He understands that we are working out a salvation that is marvelous in the eyes of the world and in the principalities and powers in heavenly places are literally witnessing what God is doing in your life by your faith continuing to honor and serve the Lord in spite of what you feel, see, think, or anything like it. So faith is a power to continue to serve God even though you can't see him. Now the atheists, the Marxists, the socialists, the communists, the agnostics, everybody that is anti-Christ resistant, they just don't have faith or they choose, better word, not to employ the faith they do have into that direction because they're sense-oriented. They're natural. They want to feel it, see it, touch it. They want to make reason out of it, logic out of it. There's no way you can make logic out of God. You can't use reason to get God figured out. It doesn't work that way. God is. Amen. God is. And you and I believe in God. So in this time, while we know the pressure is coming, we need to become what? Pressure proof. Pressure proof. You know what? If people, it gets to a point where you have to be so singular minded on God. They say when you're running a race, that when you're running and you're down that last corridor and you see the finish line, The worst thing you could do is look back, look to your left, look to your right. You must run with your mind and your eye and your vision on the finish line. Right now, it doesn't matter what the person to your left is doing. It doesn't matter what the person to your right is doing. It certainly doesn't matter what the people behind you are doing if they're really following Christ and you're following Christ, they will follow you. So the only right posture for you and I in our final generation as we're coming to the finish line of the nations of earth for 6,000 years is to be focused, penetrated, concentrated, sober on seeing the finish line, which means to get caught up in the affairs of this world, to be entangled in the affairs of this world. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, no soldier of Christ can afford to be entangled in the affairs of this world. You have to run your race right now, the full armor of God, put the blinders on both sides, don't look back, don't look up, don't look down, just keep running forward and let the spiritual power and the Holy Spirit unction and anointing accelerate you in your spirit to run. Don't worry about the weakness of your physical body. Don't worry about it. Tap into your spirit that is one with the Holy Spirit. Let your faith in that infusion, that integration, for he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit, and let his spirit carry you into the victory of this journey that we are on. And I just believe we are that people. And he went on to say this, by the way. <clears throat> In verse 8, whom having not seen, you've never seen God, right? You love. How could you love someone you don't see? I don't know why I was a little boy 
five years old, reaching out in affection toward a God I've never heard or seen, but I just believed. Where did that come from? I don't know. I can't describe it. My singing songs of affection to my, my Father in heaven, my God. I didn't know him, but I knew he existed, and I knew he was good somehow, and I didn't need anybody to tell me. Maybe every once in a while, you know, showing up at a table at someone's house, they said, let's pray over our food, got into my spirit. I don't know what happened, but it was their faith. So he says, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, and seeing is sight, that's senses, right? Seeing him not, yet believing. All right, so if Karl Marx and the communist socialists the little Caesars of the world, the rulers and the kings of the earth, would stop for a moment and realize that the energy they're putting into their faith to deny God, they could have put that same energy into a faith to believe in a God who they cannot see. But no, by looking at creation, Romans chapter 1, I mean creation itself bears witness that there's a God. There's no proof in science that God does not exist. Okay? So, but you could look out and just have a little bit of faith and go, wow, where'd the mountains come from? Where'd the sun, moon, and stars and the perfect order of things and the air we breathe and the oceans? Where did it all come from? Where did we come from? Well, there's more evidence for a God of creation than a big bang of milky soup and blah, 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 right? So anyways, you, here's what he says. Even though you don't see him, you believe, and look what, look what the result is by believing, You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable. Have you ever known unspeakable joy? In other words, some intrinsic inward uh, atmosphere of your heart that you can't really explain? This is important, and it is developed through faith. It is important that you and I allow for the joy of the Lord to be a present reality, not some made-up facade, but it's something that is a reality because of our faith. And even though we don't see God, even though we don't feel God, even though, you know, we're going through trials, we recognize that all of these things are designed to get our faith to a situation that we are seeing beyond our natural sight. Faith has eyes. Faith can see beyond the mortal world, the physical world, to a God of creation, seated at the right hand of God in heaven, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of glory, the King of the universe, the lover of our soul. Our faith can see him, that he is not against us, he is for us, he died for us and desires us to be reconciled to the Father. My eyes of faith, my faith has eyes, your faith has eyes, and when our eyes behold the God of the Bible, it is a majestic reality, but if we are to close our eyes and trust in blind reason and logic and what I feel and touch and see, we're in trouble. It doesn't work that way. You and I believe, and even though we haven't seen him, we love him, and We are rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Doing what? In verse 9, receiving the end of our faith. So the end of our faith. All right, so first faith. 
Faith has to be real. Faith has to be genuine. Faith is, man, I didn't do it right. I got it wrong. Uh, I'm not opposed to God's discipline in my life. If God needs to reprove and rebuke me, and if God needs to put some heavy stuff on me, he has every right to do it. The atheist says, I don't want these laws of God, the discipline of God, the ways of God. Let us break their bands and, and cut asunder their cords from us. We don't want God. He's an oppressive, angry type, and they insult him. We don't need to do that. We know it's our father. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, if we allow for the discipline, if we allow for the discipline, he treats us as sons and daughters. We must be dealt with. We must be discipled or disciplined. We must allow for God to work in our lives without resenting him, without siding with the atheists. Well, forget God. I don't want God. I want to be free from God's control, God's law, God telling me what to do. And we need to be very careful about our, our faith in the word of God that somehow we could still do what we want when we want. That is not true. Even though we're not under the Mosaic law, we are under a more dynamic spiritual law that is in the new covenant, law meaning instruction. And if we do not obey the instruction of the entire New Testament and do what it says to do, well, we are fooling ourselves by thinking we're okay. The New Testament is the book of instructions. It is Yeshua, Jesus, becoming the Torah made flesh. He is the instruction. He is the word of God made flesh to you and I. So when we read the New Testament, there are instructions to be followed as we follow them lovingly and joyfully because we know that they lead to life and blessing. Now we are under the control of the creator and we don't mind that. But you see, the sentiment in the world is man does not want to be under the control of God. Man does not desire to, to live by what God says. Now, religion is about organization and people going to a building and going through the motions that are never really subject to the laws of God. They do not obey the instructions of Scripture. Okay, so that is to that part, probably Karl Marx was right, organized religion in the sense of you know, the people gathering together in a fairy tale and a make-believe walk, and they pretend to obey God, but they really don't do what God's word says to do, and they sleep around, they fornicate, they drink, they smoke, they swear, they lie, they cheat, uh, they don't pick up their cross, they don't die to self, and yet they gather together being told they're going to heaven. Well, that may be the opiate of religion to a, an apostate Christianity, okay, but that's not your reality, that shouldn't be, and it's not my reality. Okay, our job is to obey the word of God. Now, he says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So the end of our faith is the salvation of our soul. Now, many people today insist that we're saved by grace through faith. And I get it. But notice how we're saved. It's by grace through faith. It's always beginning with faith. Faith leads to receiving grace and being saved by both faith and grace. But we just saw that the salvation of the soul is at the end of our faith. So therefore, keep the faith, continue in faith, grow in faith, and allow your faith 
to cause you to grow and me to grow in love and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember to realize that the Spirit of God is in you, working a transformation, changing you from the inside out. Don't be overly concerned with the things of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Don't abandon God. Don't give him 15 minutes a week in a Sunday service. Don't do that. Let your faith compel you to eat the meat and drink the wine of Scripture. Eat his body. Eat his flesh. Drink his blood. John chapter 6 tells us all about Jesus telling the disciples, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me. And by now we ought to be teachers and we still need people to teach us. Rather than eating strong meat, we're now still needing the milk. Come on, it's time to get off the milk into the meat. We have to mature in our journey because great big things are coming to knock us off of the journey that we're on And remember, faith, he who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. The same shall be saved. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Praise the Lord. I want uh, just to to get encouraged today. I want want us to understand what the, what the, the real battle is here and how the world and how the devil and how all these things are conspiring to rob you of your relationship, to separate you and I from God, our Father. You know, the world blasphemes God. It hates God. It ridicules God. It calls him all kinds of names. And boy, did Karl Marx and some others really slander God and Bill Meyer and others, right? I mean, the slander against God, the blasphemy against God, all these evil laws that are being promoted, that's not a mistake. That is man saying to God, up your nose with a rubber hose, right, or something like that. So you and I have an affection for God. You and I, we love the Father. We're not perfect people. We don't even know where it came from. We just know that we have this faith and we have this love, but there are trials, there are blowbacks, there are satanic moments of war against us, And when things don't work out, we're tempted to believe that something's wrong with God. But wisdom says it's not God that has the problem, it's us. And so we continue to submit and yield and go under and be humbled by allowing God to be true and every man a liar. And that's just the bottom line of it. So I want you to rise up today in faith. And I want you, I wish to God that every true believer that's been walking through this this latest moment, would just come up and come out of whatever's going on and stand on a mountaintop or go out into the circumference of the universe and shout out into eternity, I believe in God. In spite of the warfare, in spite of the trouble, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the seeming failures, in spite of all negativity, we stand up and say, God's not done with me yet. And though I have failed a hundred times over here, I didn't do it right over there. A righteous man will fall seven times and the right hand of the Lord will raise him up. And what we need is a spirit of faith to rise up all over the world and say to the world, flesh, and devil, I'm not budging from my faith in my God. And my faith has brought me into a relationship where I have an experience with God that you couldn't give me, the world couldn't give me, and you cannot take away and you cannot deny. I have encountered God, the living God, in my life to such a degree that things that have happened in my life are way beyond 
the ability to be coincidence or just kind of came together. There's some intellect in the created universe, and the created universe was created by God, and his spirit is alive, and his love is real, and his salvation is true, and he died for this world. He wants all men to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to get into eternal separation from him. And if mankind, if all of mankind would simply come to that understanding that God loves you, and if you understood that there's a Satan, an adversary to the love of God, if you understood that, and that that adversary is trying to take your your vapor, you know, life is a vapor, and to find, just to get you in the vapor of your existence to deny God, they will eternally damn you. If you knew that, you would not be a promoter of atheism, communism, Marxism, socialism. You would not participate in these evil things. Man wouldn't do it. So why don't men know that God loves them? Because the Bible says the God of this world has blinded their minds unless the light of the glorious gospel should shine in their hearts. So we have blinded masses by the God of this world that is educating and instructing those blind masses to turn against God. He's attempting to get those who once knew God, who believed in God, were partakers of the Holy Ghost, to turn away from God. And if there's one force in the universe that can do that, it is Satan. He was able to take Adam and Mrs. Adam away from God. He has been able to turn people away from God from the beginning of time. And the only one he was not able to turn from God was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved God and even went to the cross and died a bloody death because he would not let the devil turn him away from God. You and I have placed our faith in him. So the devil comes to turn us away from God. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Don't feel bad when the devil comes to turn your heart away from God. Just know how to respond to that warfare. You have to be interconnected. You have to be one. You have to know something. You have to have strong faith. You have to believe that what you have experienced is true. It's not blind religion. It is an intimate relationship. So stand strong. Stand strong. Here's what Jesus said was coming down the pike, all right? Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 says it this way. Would you take a sip? On this Friday morning, before I go any further, I just want to Reach out and see how our friends are on our YouTube and chat. Let's see. Good morning to Charlotte Gotch. Good morning, Charlotte and Brenda Torville. God bless you. Cindy Messman, God bless you. And uh, good morning, everybody. Callie Reynolds is saying good morning this morning. Good morning to you, Callie. And Carol Carey, greetings to everybody. Hello, Carol. Uh, Kevin Hauger, good morning, Kevin. God bless you, sir. Laquita Sizemore, good morning to you. Adam Lindress, greetings to you all. Thank you for the greeting, Adam and Laquita. Good morning to you. Uh, we have Vanessa. Shabbat Shalom, Pastor Vincent. Thank you, Vanessa. I can't wait for the sun to set. Praise the Lord. Uh, Adam says, New World Order coming against God. You got it, Adam. Sean Hoback, buenos dias. Buenos dias to you, Sean. 
Uh, River of Fire Ministries. God bless you, Pastor. That's Pastor David and Victoria Obenauer, River of Fire. By the way, Pastor David and Victoria will be in Northwest Arkansas for the Feast of Tabernacles. You're not going to want to miss that. Make sure you get tuned in September 23rd to September 30th. Cindy Messman, good morning, Brenda. Good morning, good morning, good morning. All right, Melissa Flesher, Pastor Melissa, good morning, blessings on your day. Thank you for the blessing, Pastor Melissa. God bless your heart. This woman's dynamic, I'm telling you. Uh, we got to see her in action up in South Dakota. Uh, what a great work she and her husband are doing. Uh, Sean Woodson, hello, Brother Vincent and siblings of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be with you all. Thank you, Sean. New World Order will persecute the Christian. That's right, Sean. They certainly will. Uh, of course, we will not go with the way of things. No, we will not, sir. We will stand by faith. All right. So what is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. Plain and simple. God said he does not change and he will not yield or surrender to man's ways. And we must not either. Amen to that, Sean. Well said. Vanessa says, Genesis twenty-two seventeen. surely I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. If atheists don't believe God doesn't exist, who planned the seed, create baby in the womb uh, of the woman where they get food and beauty? Exactly. So if you don't believe, what are you going to do? All right, let's get back into it. So good morning to everybody listening today on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, let's get into Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. <clears throat> So what are we, you know, what is the cry this morning? What are we running for? What are we racing towards? We're racing to win this race in our generation. There's no mystery anymore. The mystery of iniquity is out of the closet. The mystery of iniquity is beginning to manifest more and more. It's been in the world for 2,000 years, even from the beginning of time. The mystery of iniquity is about to explode all over this earth. We must be genuine in our faith, in God, in the Bible, and everything this Bible teaches. The accusation, the accuser of the brethren, is going to accuse the Bible of being misguided and wrong. Get ready. The accuser of the brethren is going to slander and blaspheme everything called God. He's going to make days difficult and days tough for some people. And we're going to have to go through these days with genuine faith even to the point of laying our lives down as martyrs, if need be, to not abandon our love and our faith for our God. We must fall in love with our Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. We must allow for the scriptures to become the script of our lives. The Bible is the script we are to follow the script that God has given us. We are living in this world, not following our own ways. I don't want to follow Lucifer. I don't want to follow Satan. I don't want to follow Alistair McCrowley, um, Marx, Karl Marx. I don't want to follow Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, Nancy Pelosi. I don't want to follow 
anybody, CNN, I don't want to follow them. I don't want their narrative, their script to get into my heart and my mind on a bad day. I want to follow the script of God. And what I have found in 39 years, 39 years of my life has been following the script of this Bible. And what I have discovered is that when I follow the script, it brings me into a life I could have never dreamed. Never dreamed. And yet here we are now, coming into the last days. I've already lived an abundant life. If I died today, I will have lived a life that is so far beyond anybody in my family bloodline Nobody in the family tree of my life has ever experienced the blessing of what God has done in my life. And I'm talking about deliverance from sin, generational bloodline curses, the blessing of having things with peace, come on, and knowing where they came from not by the sweat of my brow, the work of my hands, look what I have done. No, my blessings have come from the Lord. They have come from God. And when you are in this life, you have to acknowledge everything you have is from the Lord. And if you happen to be a craftsman, if you happen to be somebody that is very skilled, God gave you those skills. And so honor the Lord. And bless the Lord that he gave you these skills. And you should enjoy the skill. You should take your gift and you should share it. And you should let it work and be creative. And and if you earn a living by doing so, praise the Lord. Your Lord Jesus was a carpenter and he made a living by doing it. Praise the Lord. But all I'm saying, all I'm saying, get ready to be challenged. But if we are building our faith, it's going to be water off a duck's back. It's going to be water off a duck's back. Satan's not as bad as he seems to be. I mean, he's bad. He's everything bad, right? But God is good. And God's goodness far outweighs Satan's bad. You know what I'm saying? So the enemy, the adversary comes against your life. He does what he can to get you to believe maybe God doesn't love you, maybe God doesn't care, maybe God's not interested. Let me tell you something. 39 years of experience in this journey, God does care about you. He cares. His oversight Concern and care for you is more than you could ever imagine. God has set things plainly. For example, he who believes and is saved, he who does not believe and is damned. Plainly, black and white, light and dark. He cares, desires. For every human being on this earth to be saved. Now, when we come to faith in him, 
realizing that we're taking on the baggage of a fallen human race, it is of utmost most concern for him to re-educate you properly and to bring you into a place of victory and success to make your life a testimony and a witness of his incredible power at work in your life. He gets glory for that. God gets glory in the victory of your life. God doesn't want you one foot in and one foot out, on the razor's edge, being tormented, getting beat up. God doesn't want you one day high and the next day low. God doesn't want that life for you. God wants to secure you in his heart. He wants you to come to him with all of your being. If you hold back for yourself, he's not going to force you, but he will tell you that little bit that you're holding back from me is a potential threat to your eternal salvation. Without full-blown confession, without full-blown repentance, without turning all together away from those things that are condemned, you are leaving ground for the enemy to exploit. Repentance is a full and complete turning away. And by reserving a little tiny speck for yourself is enough ground for the enemy to exploit and to actually take more and more and more. Give an inch, you'll take a yard. You've heard the saying. (laughs) So God's calling you unto himself altogether. He wants all of you, the good, the bad, the ugly. He wants every bit of you. He knows what to do with your human nature. He knows what to do with your past. He knows what to do with your generational past. He knows what to do with your brain. He knows how to fix your mind, your soul, your will, your emotions. He knows as the creator how to fix you and I. And each one of us are an amazing project, aren't we? I mean, I was standing with two brothers the other day, and I thought between the three of us how we must exhaust God. You know, for God to work on the three guys I was hanging out with, his workmanship in our lives, what he has to go through to get to us and work in us, I thought, man, we must exhaust you. And yet God has this ability to work in us and not be exhausted, and with about seven or eight billion other people if they would turn to him. Anybody that turns to the Lord, God invests himself in their salvation. And it begins in this life and carries into eternity. But in this life, what he longs for, what he says, is I need all of you to cooperate. Because if there's any resistance at all or anything held back, I can't do the work that I want to do in you. I need your full abandonment to me. But if we do, what happens? God, his arms of love, literally take us into his bosom. And what God does in the love of his heart and the strength of his arms is he presses us into himself. And while he's pressing us into his love, 
He's squeezing out all the poison and the bitterness and the hardness of this life we've experienced up until this time. I mean, this is true. This is grace. This is experience speaking to you. Where do you want to be in these last moments of time? In the world? In the failed systems of the world? In the foolish doctrines of atheism and Marxism that seem to be so intellectually smart and they're so stupid? Where do you want to be? Why would you hold anything back from God? Why would I? Why would you hold anything back from God? Because I like my flesh? Because I want to satisfy my desires? Listen, every part of us needs to be surrendered to God so we give up our will for his will, our plan for his plan, our desire for his desire. And I've been told 39 years ago that God's plans are much better than our own. So why would we hold anything back from God? Unforgiveness, hurt, woundedness, pain, uh, trauma, uh, abuse. Why not give that to God too? He's the only one that could heal it. He's the only one that could cleanse it. He's the only one that could bring love to it and forgive it and wash it and, and make it beautiful and cause all things to work together for good for those who love him. Why hold anything back? Why try to control God and force God to give in to what we want? Why? See, this is all twisted. It has to be total surrender. But the has to isn't obligatory of a religion. It's in order for things to work the way that they could work, in our lives, the surrender to God is the way to the abundant life, which is an inward quality of life to be lived. You live in the Sudan, you live in Nigeria, you live in Iran, you have black skin, white skin, red skin, you, you live in the, in the ghettos of LA, you live in the ghettos of New York. You live in the, the crip neighborhood, the blood neighborhood. You're a gangbanger. You're a this, that. You've got your own language, whatever. You could turn to God with all your heart. Turn to me with all of your heart, God said. And not just your garments. Turn to me with all your heart, and I'll leave behind a blessing you would have never dreamed. It doesn't matter. White trash, growing up in white trash, redneck, neighbor, I mean, whatever you want to call it. Turn to God. Educated, intellectual, unintelligent, stupid, not smart, turn to God. Turn to God. God will do things in our lives that we would never dream. You're looking, if I may use myself, please, as an example, you're looking at God taking the foolish things of this world. And at moments, actually confounding those who claim to be wise. God taking a man that went to 15 different elementary schools, seven different high schools, and I could go on to the rest of the story, but God takes him, gives him his Bible that scholars go to university to study, and not only does he give me the scriptures, but fills me with the Holy Spirit so I can understand this word of God clearly, 
and be a teacher of the Bible for 29 years this October in a pastoral office with a prophetic anointing, with an apostolic teaching gift of whatever, this is what people have told me, I'm not seeing it for myself, this is what they've said, and I don't really care, I'm just a son, but what I'm saying is if, if God could do what he's done in my life, what can he do in yours and mine? And what was the key? It was turning at a moment of sincerity my entire life over to God because there was nothing working. And did God have to work with 39 years of dealing with my uh, rebellious nature, my inward corruption and defilement? Absolutely. And that's why the cross of Jesus Christ is the most powerful reality to all believers. It is the cross that nullifies the hostility of human nature against God's purposes. It is the cross that nullifies the satanic. It is the cross that breaks the curse. It is the blood on the cross that speaks deliverance and salvation and healing. It is the cross that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the cross in my failures. It is the cross in my sin. It is the cross at work when failure comes. It is the cross, and it is the Christ of the cross that brings out of tragedy great success, triumph, healing, restoration. Oh, we love the cross. We love the cross. We have discovered that carnality and flesh oppose God's goodness. And we who have tasted that the Lord is good do not want to taste the bitter fruits of carnality and flesh and worldliness and satanic things. We've been there. However, we also know that in these end times, the war is coming to knock us off of our stance. But the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible says, I have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that I have built my life upon the rock. So when the storms of life come, I will not fall and my house will not fall. Where have you built your life? On the words of God? By not only hearing them, but doing them? Or have you built your life upon the sands of this transient temporary life of emotions and feelings and memories. That's the transient sand. Life cannot be built upon our human experience. We build our life on God's word by doing what it says, and that establishes the foundation, the character. When we obey God's word, character is formed in us. And we may not have arrived at the apex as of yet, but how many of you would say God's character has been built, eternally built on the inside of me more than when I first believed? And I want you to know that in these last days with the hostility that's coming, as you and I go through and we win 
even more character is going to be established. Even more of God's glory is going to be unveiled. Even more of God's power, more of God's strength, more of God showing himself that he is truly God. To all who want to take a look, you didn't beat that one. You couldn't take that one down. Have you considered my servant Job? He said to the devil, Job, not even filled with the Holy Ghost, just had a fear of God and loved God, right? Have you considered him? Put him through all that mess and turned it into a message of hope and faith for the nations of the earth that will look at their hard times and then say, remember Job. Oh, what a time we're in. What a time we are living in. Faith, more precious than gold. Faith, working by love. Faith, working by love. Listen to these words. Faith, grace, mercy, favor. Forgiveness, hope, love, joy, peace. These words inspire the heart of God for us. Hate, anger, selfishness, corruption, defilement. Yuck! Consider these words again. Holiness, pure, righteous, godly. These words inspire a human being to become like God in nature. And did you know that it is the very destination of everyone who believes to be conformed into the image of the firstborn Son of God? Did you know that our destination is not heaven, but the predestination of every believer is to be conformed into the image of God's Son? Don't ever forget that. I know you've heard it before. Don't treat it lightly. You have been predestinated to be conformed into the image of his dear son. And who is the image of his son? Jesus is the express image of God. He said to Thomas, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So when people see you at the end of this working out of salvation, they're going to see the Father. They're going to see the Son. They're going to see the nature of God in you without new age, metaphysics, science of mind, you know, a man is God apart from Jesus Christ. Nah, it's all, it's all trying to climb in another way. The destination of your life is to be conformed into the image of God himself. And he's not opposed to that. He originally created man in his image and likeness. And because of sin, that image and likeness has been marred. But through Jesus Christ, we're coming back through the power and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And now we're living at the end of the end of the end of the ages. And the world and the flesh and the devil is rising to power like never before. 
to blaspheme everything called God. And we're here. And I'm saying to you, it's not in your strength that you're going to stand. It's not in my strength that I'm standing. It's not in our ability. It's not in our giftings. It is in the strength of Christ. It is the strength that comes through faith. Faith moves mountains. Come on. Faith to stand. Not to get a pink Cadillac. Faith to stand. Faith to overcome. Faith to be victorious. And this is what's being tested. And you and I go through many tests. And sometimes we fail utterly. We blow it so bad. Usually when we're caught off guard, very few of you that listen to this radio broadcast are still willfully sinning, playing games with God, and then going back to church and saying, I'm sorry, and then doing it again. Very few of you would possibly be in that situation. Most of us, we get caught off guard. We, we get tested at a moment we weren't ready to be tested. We get bombarded when we were just not thinking about it. We weren't watching. We weren't paying attention. And God uses that. He allows that to show us what's in our hearts. And sometimes we look at what's in our heart and we just, we turn red-faced in humiliation. I mean, God forbid God would show us what's in our hearts and we wouldn't grieve. God forbid we wouldn't be broken over what he has revealed to us because we're believing that we're going from glory to glory, strength to strength, faith to faith. We're becoming more like him. And then when we see these other negative things show up in the time of trial, we go, oh my God. And it it is deep. It's deep brokenness, right? But God is going to even use that to say, okay, well, what happened? What what was your response? Why did you go that way? Were you tired? Were you not feeling well? Well, Were you cranky? Well, you shouldn't be cranky, right? Whatever the case is. Were you just not walking in humility? Were you walking in pride? Did you get too puffed up by everybody's congratulations about your life? Uh, You know, what is it? Did you start thinking you were really something when you're nothing, that you're only a unprofitable servant when you've only done what you're supposed to do and yet you were looking for recognition. What is it? What, what is it? What's the problem? Were you tuned into your emotions, to your feelings? Where were you, right? I mean, the point is, most of us, when we seem to utterly fail, it really has an impact on us. I mean, we get to these places of, wow. I mean, the enemy comes in to just absolutely obliterate us, right? Because we've grieved the spirit. We've quenched the spirit. We've done something we didn't want to do. And we saw something we didn't really know we even could see. This is part of the journey, folks. This is part of the lesson. This is part of the learning And because we're getting so close in an accelerated way to the end, God is accelerating his discipline in our lives. He is saying, listen, I don't have time to wait for years any longer with you. I've got to get you, and either you're going to respond properly or not. And what happens if we refuse to give God the proper response? 
That's another issue. That leaves us vulnerable because it's our choice. And if we refuse to get it right, I'd rather fall seven times, scruff up my knees, break my chin, and just get up and say, doggone it, I, I, I didn't do it right. I got to get it right. And if my, if my passion is saying, I've got to get it right, I can't walk with pride. I can't walk in envy. I can't walk in jealousy. I can't be lazy. I can't be giddy about life. You know, just whatever. If, if the passion is, man, I, I need to achieve. I need to get this right. I want to be victorious. I'm right there. I can sense it. I'm tasting it. I, but I need, to, I need to wrap it up in some areas. I can't keep these areas open just to be afflicted again and again and again and again and again. I got to get it right. What is that going to mean? I need the cross more in my life. I need to die to frustration or pride or whatever it is. I need to give up. I need to lay it down. I need to surrender. I need to give in rather than holding back and, and, and being stubborn and waiting for God to change everything before I budge. No, I need to budge now. And so do you. We need to budge and say, okay, I've been digging my heels in. I've been stubborn about this. I, I, I just really resisted some area of my life. I love you 99.9%, .9%, Lord. I'm all in 99. But this one area, heck no, I'm not budging. Well, it's time to budge because if you don't, it could be the most vulnerable time and an opportunity for the enemy to get you, right? Because that's what he's all about, get you. I'm going to get you one way or another, right? I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you one, right? That's what he wants to do. He wants to get you. He's a fisherman himself. Jesus is a fisherman. So is Satan. And he's got hooks and snares and traps to try to hook the soul of man, male and female. He's a hunter. He's a fisher. He's going to get you if you give him opportunity. Amen. But if the Lord catches us, all of us, there's no vulnerability. Hmm. I never did get to Matthew 24. Shirley Woosley, good morning from Texas to brothers and sisters of God. He loves us so even when we don't deserve it. Pray one for the other that we not be shaken. Amen. He does love us. Unconditional agape love of God. Jay Grassle. Hey, Pastor Xavier. God bless you. Hello, Jay. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. You know what I find amazing? This happens all the time. I'm talking about one of the most important things to end time events, the condition of our soul. And I, I, I view the numbers and they go down. Like a third of the people that usually are on, that I could see, a third of the people abandon the program because we're talking about a transformed life, repentance, carrying the cross, changing becoming like God in Christ in nature, 
and a third of the people leave the program. I find that amazing. But if we're talking about hardcore, end of the world, in-your-face destruction and disaster and, and all the stuff, all those numbers, just they just kind of grow. So my appeal to those of you who are listening, who are willing to address this moment properly, the call again to every one of us is repent. Continue to turn to God in every area of our lives, holding nothing back. That begins with a decision. Lord, I choose to hold nothing back. I accept and receive your total perfect will for my life. Everything else will follow that decision. Tests will come. Trials will come. Oh, yeah, the devil says you're going to give it all to God. Well, what about this? It's all, it'll all work itself out, but it's a decision. And if we maintain that decision in every situation, and we happen to come into a place like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to drink the cup, and he came and said, Lord, if, it, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will. And if we come into a situation where we go, man, I don't want to drink this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It could be patience with your spouse, your children, your parents. It could be being faithful at work when nobody's watching. It could be conducting yourself in, in an honorable way when you're out in the world. It could be releasing and letting go of people that have offended, spitting out the bait of Satan, the poison of offense, purposefully operating and practicing the presence of God and the fruit of the Holy Spirit loving our enemies, doing good to those that hate us, praying for those that abuse us and blessing those that curse us. It's reading the scriptures and then finding something for today that I could actually do. And I will tell you this, because of the lateness of the hour, you have to get up really quick. You have to get up quickly. You cannot afford to stay down in the lower atmosphere that Satan wants to keep you in. You have to rise up in resurrection power with wings as eagles, and you need to soar into those heavenlies again. You need to get to that place of being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You cannot afford to stay down below. You become like a chicken in a pen. Your head gets down and you're always plucking on the earth. And you could jump to a fence post and that's about it. You need to become an eagle saint. Rise up with wings as eagles. And if your wings have been clipped, that eagle keeps in their heart waiting for those wings to flourish again. And when that first wind comes and the launch takes place, in other words, get up quickly if you have failed, if you have fallen short, if you have missed the mark, you get up quickly. You get back 
to where you need to be. You start climbing again. You soar again. And you get there and you say, next time I'm not going down. Man, this, I, I just would rather stay up here. I would rather stay up here. So it is Friday and Shabbat Shalom tonight. I'm not going to go into Matthew 24. I'll preserve that for next week. You've heard it many times. I'm going to get ready to meet with the New Wine Ministry family Saturday evening at 530. You could tune in if you'd like to on Facebook or YouTube by going to New Wine Ministry TV or to Facebook uh, to New Wine Ministry or Omega Radio. That's where you really want to find it. Um, We'll be meeting Sunday at 2 p.m. as well, and we're looking forward to those gatherings together. I trust that they're going to be well. In the interim, when we leave the airwaves, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, search our heart, cleanse us, Lord God, bring us back into a place of um, peace with you, and bring all of your people to a place of faith, a place of faith. We live, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith working by love, receiving the grace of God, the mercy of God, the truth of God, the light of God, the hope of Christ. Holiness, godliness, purity, free from legalism, not rigid except for our rigid righteousness and our uncompromisingly righteous walk that we have with God, understanding what is right and wrong chewing on the meat, growing up a little bit, getting away from fleshly attitudes, carnal attitudes, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, conformed into the image of the firstborn son. All of these things are part of the journey. I want to see you at the end of the journey, and I hope you want to see me at the end of this journey. And for you and I, we're going to meet with the Lord with his wide open arms, and we're going to finish this race And we are going to overcome. And we are going to win. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things are become new. We will finish this race. And at the end of the day, all this human struggle and trial and all the affliction and persecution and tribulation, it's going to give way to the glory of joy unspeakable and full of glory throughout eternity. This momentary affliction, which is but for a moment, will be met with a far exceeding weight of eternal glory. For the present trouble and distress is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Christ in us, the divine nature, the hope. Of glorification. There's a reward for finishing this race. And he who began a good work in you and me will complete it just as we cooperate with him, yield to him, obey him, follow him, honor him. This is a time for every one of us to be more generous than we have ever been before. To give like we've never given before. To love like we've never loved before. And to operate in more faith like a little child, retreating to our childlike faith like never before. 
This is the time to let our Christianity show itself to be true. That the likenesses of Christ that are already in us would be manifested forth where we go. Not in pretense, but in agreement, willfully allowing Christ to shine forth. This is the time. There's been a lot of work done in your life by God, his handy work. He wants to show it off a little bit right now. Let him do it. Let him do it today. Let him do it tomorrow. Let him do it. Let God show off what he's done in you. Let the true work of Christ in you that's been accomplished, let it out. Don't let your personality stifle it. Don't let anything hold it back. That's the way I am. No, it's not the way you are. What God has done in you in his likeness, nature, and character, let it shine. Let it shine to your spouse, to your friends, to your family. Blow them away by letting the work of God out of you. You probably will be shocked at how much work God has done in your life, but the devil's had you thinking otherwise. Let that love shine. Let that smile out. Let that glimmer come forth. Let that joy come out. Let that peace, that confidence, that power, that strength, that anointing, that glory, let it out. You're not going to lose it. You're not going to lose it. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let it out. Shout it out. Shout it out. Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth, my Savior and my salvation. Wow. Let it out. Let it manifest. Let it effulgence. Let it outray. Put it on display. Look in the mirror and say, you're different than what you saw early this morning. Let the real you that God has created on the inside, let it out. Let it out. Fearless, without offense, totally forgiven and forgiving everyone. No poison, no bitterness, no darkness, no way. That new creation is solid, light and glory in gold. Let it out. Let it out in the fearful world of end-time events. Let it out. What Christ has done. Come on, let it out. You got to do it. Don't keep showing the world your old personality that was formed by your experiences in the world. No. People are waiting for your smile. They're waiting for your love. They're waiting for your hug. They're waiting for your, hey, I love you and I accept you. They're waiting for that. Everybody is. The pastors are waiting for it. People are waiting for it. Everybody's wanting to know. Show me your love. Touch me with what God has done in you. Let us bring this out. No compromise. No capitulation, toleration. I mean solid, sound foundation, all in, full of light and glory. But share it. I guarantee you that the work that Christ has been doing in your heart since the day you believed is so rich and so right 
and so gold and rubied and diamond. There's something so beautiful inside of you. Let it out. Let it out. Let this love out. It's the only right expression. It is the only right response. Love. And then all the fruits that go along with it, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, all that flows out of the love. I'm telling you, it works. If you are insulted, got to respond in love. You misunderstood, respond. This is the victory. Has God fashioned in your spirit his nature? If you're born again, he most certainly has. So rather than living out of the old nature, we choose to live out of the new nature. Let's make that our proclamation and declaration today and the rest of this week. I am going to live out of the new nature. And I'm going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to empower my desire to let my light so shine before men that they'll see my good works and glorify God. I want them to see, Holy Spirit, you in my life. I want that anointing, that unction. I want it to be like a golden river of oil flowing everywhere I go. I want to bring joy and peace and love that many will come to our light. Remember, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you. His glory will be seen in you and the people will bring all themselves to the light of your glory. They'll come to the light. And we don't have our own light. Our light is Christ. And this is the challenge in these end times. The world is saying, Christians, you don't have any light. You don't have any love. You have no supernatural work of God in your inner man. And we are here to say, oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. And don't confuse our love with toleration. Don't you dare confuse our love with weakness. Mm-mm. But we have the love. We have the joy. We have the peace. We have the riches. We have the treasure on the inside. In an earthen vessel, we have treasure. Your heart is a treasure chest. Keep it with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Okay, well, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. We'll see you Tuesday. And we should have a whole new background, by the way. It should be a lot of fun. (laughs) We'll see you then. Shalom. And God bless. Right now on Omega Radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's a roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier out of her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. Shalom. Hello, hello. I just turned everything off and I saw the phone. I didn't I didn't have the screen open before my eyes. I am so sorry.
that amazing? Isn't that? Yeah, that would have been a great comment. I'm sorry we missed that. Oh, yeah, let's talk about it now. Thank you. 
shelves later. Uh, that would help us stop a little bit. And how many budgets do you have? Lower and flatter that we're going to keep the 